Join Kim and Ketsia as they explore life without alcohol, after both being heavily immersed in a drinking culture for years. They explore different topics of sobriety each week, ranging from friendship to motherhood. By sharing personal stories from their past, they talk about their experiences of what it is like to now thrive rather than just survive and become sober. Um, okay. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Weekend Sober. This is Kim and Ketsia, and we have a guest here with us today. We have Meg Geis-White, who wrote Intoxicating Lies. So thank you, Meg, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you both. Awesome. Um, so Ketsia and Meg, you guys, did you have a conversation last weekend on your in your book group, right? Um, I think it was two weeks ago. Yeah, Ketsy and I met online. We actually met on the sober community on Instagram and connected a long time ago, became instant friends and started. Then um, I joined her writing group and fell in love with her writing group. And then she invited me to her book club. And I haven't been able to be as involved with her writing group because I've been so busy launching the book. But yeah, we've just remained friends and really it all bloomed and blossomed from Instagram. I think we also, don't we have a mutual connection through Peggy Cooney, who also wrote a book and who has a a sober community as well called This Side of Alcohol. I think she originally reached out to me and said, hey, I have this friend, Meg, who's interested in coming to try out your uh, women's writing circle, which I host on Friday mornings. And this was back probably in the fall last year. And I was like, okay, send her over. And I remember you dialed in from your car <laughs> and, and like, I was just, but I was blown away because you started sharing some stuff and, and some of your writing. And I was like, who is this woman? And at that point, I mean, I knew you were working on your book, but only from what you had said, I'd never read any of your writing or anything. And I was just like, I love this. So I think we just connected over that. And then I've just kind of see, and then I had you on an Instagram live in the yeah. As well, when the book came out. So, yes, mm-hmm. I'm so appreciative of your friendship and all of your support. And Kim, I'm excited to get to know you better and I'm looking so, forward to reading your book as well. Thank you so Meg. I'm so glad to finally meet you. I know I've seen so much about your book that released. Tell us when it released again. It came out in January, January 17th. January. Yeah, 17th. just a few months ago, January 17th. Yeah. And it really, um, Uh, The reason why I wrote the book was because when I became sober curious in November of 2019, I couldn't find any books on gray area drinking. Um, A lot of, I love, I loved all the stories and all the quitlet books, but I was having a hard time relating to the stories. And so they say you write the book that you always needed and wanted to read. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just felt like at the time that gray area drinking was this space that Jolene Park was really bringing into the community, even though it's not her term, it's been in the medical literature for over two decades mm-hmm. and um, is actually, you know, in the dietary guidelines and is an actual space on the alcohol use disorder spectrum. But we weren't really talking about it back then. And I felt very seen with her podcast, um, Edit Your Drinking, with her and Aidan Raleigh, um, mm-hmm. Donnelly. And then I 
found a community that was talking a lot about gray area drinking and the detox to retox cycle. And it was the first time that, and that was the sober cis community. And it was the first time that I actually felt, wow, this, this thing I've been struggling with silently for years, other women have. But when I got into the community, I really thought it was going to be me and maybe three other women. Mm -hmm. And there were hundreds of women in this community. And I was like, what is going on here? Why are there so many women in here? And we can dive into all that, but that that's kind of why I wrote the book and um, how it came to fruition. Isn't it, isn't it wild how until we find a little bit of community or we start kind of like putting ourselves out there and searching for that lightness in, in another person or in another group that you really do feel that you're alone and not maybe not alone alone, but that no, that you're not going to find anyone else. And then it's like to think about that. And it's heartbreaking because so many of us suffered in silence, especially women for so long, because we, especially with gray area drinking, which you'll talk about, because we, we were sold this lie that it was normal, that this was the, this was what we were meant to be doing. So it's like to find that and to be like, oh, and to be like, not only is there, there's hundreds of thousands of women in those communities, you know. I, it's, it's so true. I want you to tell our listeners, Meg, what is gray area drinking? Let's start from like basics. Because, first of all, tell us the full title of your book because I realized I didn't say it. Like, what is the subtitle? Because we need to know that. And then please, my dear, give us the definition and you can do it in your own words, whatever, um, of what is gray area drinking. And and on our podcast very early on, we did have an episode about this. Catherine and I did back way back in the day. I want to say it was like episode two or three because Catherine and I identified so much with the definition of gray area drinking. And we felt like we were gray area drinkers for so long. And also know many people that are gray area drinkers that don't even realize it. So go ahead, Meg. I would love to hear your perspective. So my book is called Intoxicating Lies, the journey, uh, one woman's journey to freedom from gray area drinking. And gray area drinking is, I like to kind of give an example. Um, so if you have somebody like aunt Jane who likes, can really be a take it or leave it drinker, she may have a glass of champagne at a wedding to toast somebody and have a few sips. And she might have a glass of champagne, a glass of wine on her birthday. And she won't even finish the glass of wine. She truly could take it or leave it. She drinks maybe once or twice a year. Then on the far other side of the spectrum is people who are in what is like the severe spectrum where you need a medical detox when you quit drinking. And they say it's only about 10% of the population. So everything in between those two extremes is gray area drinking, which is a vast, large category on the alcohol use disorder spectrum. And there's many of us caught there, but because we as a society make it look normal, I mean, I talk about this in my book. My therapist told me when I finally got the courage to tell her I had what I thought was a drinking problem. She told me, no, no, I think you're thinking about it too much. Yeah. We go to yoga. Our wellness instructor after we do yoga gives us a glass of champagne. I've been to spin classes where they're talking about sweating out the toxins. It's yeah. a confusing, tricky space to be because everything around you 
is telling you that your drinking is normal. It's a, it's a permission slip sometimes by our own physicians who say it's fine if you're having one or two glasses a night. Um, I was interviewed by a reporter and he kept trying to put me in the, you know, our society wants to do a black and white drinking box and label everybody up into those white and black mm -hmm. spaces. Yeah. And he kept trying to put me in the black box and I wouldn't let him do it. And I finally said to him, cause he said, my, my, my doctor says it's fine. He says, it's fine. I, that I have a glass or two of wine every night. And I said, I drank just like you, that is gray area drinking. And so it's usually self-identified. A lot of times we are high achievers, go-getters. I was winning awards at work. My marriage was thriving. My kids were doing great. The, to the outside world, nobody could tell that internally and silently I was struggling with my toxic relationship with alcohol. And because there was never really a rock bottom or external consequences, I stayed in a very confused space here because I lived in that intoxicating lie of only black and white drinking, which is just, we have to, we have to talk about <laughs> the huge space in between. And it's becoming, especially since the pandemic, an epidemic for women in this category right. because drinking increased 41% during the pandemic. And I talk about that in the book as well. We were trying to juggle work online, homeschooling young kids online, cleaning the kitchen 24 seven. And we were told to have a quarantini to deal with the stress. And we started normalizing day drinking, mm -hmm. which is really dangerous. So the addiction rates went through the roof. And then it was just kind of like, you know, and then what the worst part is, is that there's a stigma around us if we think we have a problem with it. And we're not the problem, it's the problem. It's a highly addictive drug that we're not warned against. And if we don't start talking about this gray area space, more and more people are being trapped there because they're getting the societal, cultural permission slip that says it's okay, that it's so-called normal and it's all BS. I don't think a lot of women or a lot of people realize how big that space is. Yeah. Like the first time I heard you say that, I was like, I was like, wow. And I happen to fall on one end of the spectrum where I did require, not like a detox center, but I did require medication to safely mm -hmm. withdraw but my drinking had escalated from a point of gray area drinking to that point over a matter of years because when I became a mom and when I became a single parent it, it was so normalized so in that span of time in those five years maybe I could have had an intervention sooner like and, and to understand but I had no idea I didn't obviously I didn't even know gray area drinking as a as a term for something let alone how big that spectrum is. You know, it, if we don't go upstream and catch them earlier, Ketsia, to your point, mm -hmm. you're on a one-way drinking highway and you're headed. I don't care if your hue, I talk about this all the time, I don't care if your hue of gray is lighter or darker, we're all headed the same way. Because that's the, that's what you said, the addictive nature of alcohol and, and, the, and the poison that it is and the dependency that it creates. So it didn't matter yeah, maybe I was always more, had more of a propensity just given, you know, circumstances. I became a single parent. I was extremely overwhelmed. I had no family around to help me, but we all have those stresses, right? We have different stresses, each of us. And I think that all of those things compounded. If I had had knowledge and information, maybe I would have still made the same decisions, but I know, I think in my heart, I was kind of searching for this, like, 
out. And once I found this, the sober Instagram world, and once I found the luckiest club, it was like this beacon of hope. Cause I was like, okay, people, other people are doing it. Same with you and, and sober sis, where you're like, wow, there is other women searching for this out and not feeling like we are allowed to because of the way society portrays this, this image of having it all. Having and it, it really, all. community is so important. I mean, yeah. it, it, we heal best in community. We feel not alone. And isolation is really the enemy, right, of mm -hmm. addiction. And connection is the antidote to addiction. And just knowing that there are other women that feel the way that you feel. And, and I just, I start the book with the intoxicating lies that we tell ourselves about ourselves. And as women, we are getting constant messages that we are too much, not enough, too fat, too skinny, too aggressive, too shy. And what happens is we start to tell ourselves stories to make ourselves feel safe. And we start believing these lies and we disassociate from that inner knowing. And it wasn't until I listened to my own inner knowing that I decided to get help and actually join Sober Sis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't care what your, your therapist, your healthcare provider, your friends, your family, culture, movies are telling you, if you're feeling that inner knowing nudging you and saying something feels wrong, some, this is not serving us, and you're starting to question your relationship with alcohol, just really encourage you to get curious because curiosity is also the key throughout this entire journey to healing. And to me, it's been this path of once I reconnected with my inner knowing, then I was able to really start to heal because I started tuning back in with my body and feeling the hell yeses and the hell no's mm. and, like, and, re and rewiring my brain with the right thoughts that I am perfect the way I am. I'm enough. I am whole. There's no bad parts of me. All the BS I had listened to for years from society where I was always looking outside of myself for approval and validation, this alcohol-free journey forced me into, you know, really reconnecting with my mind, body, and spirit. And my spirituality is the strongest it's ever been because I'm so awake to all the signs and beauty that, that this journey wants to give to you once you reconnect with all of it. But when you have a substance in the way that's fogging it out on a day in, day out basis, it's, you just, you can't do it. You're just, kind of always checked out a little bit. Yeah, it's like that. It's like a veil is kind of, I think we've talked about this on the podcast a lot, Kim, but like this, like the, the fog that, like you said, make the veil that's around you, you're so disconnected from your values or what you, what you claim that your values are. I remember um, before I got sober, I was seeing a therapist when I lived in Canada and we were doing cognitive behavioral therapy and we were doing a branch of that called acceptance commitment therapy. And she, I wasn't upfront with her about my struggles with alcohol at that point. She had no idea, but I would go in and we'd do these like bullseye of like our different, my different values and all this. And then I would go out and I would be drinking a bottle of wine every night. And I was like, where is the where is the sense? Because the things that I said, I, I wanted a family. I wanted to um, be writing a book. I wasn't mm -hmm. even I was lucky if I was even reading a book at that right. point. You know, right. We're divided women, divided hearts, divided minds when we're drinking. Yeah. Sorry, Kim. I feel like I keep cutting you off. Please yeah. talk. <laughs> oh, my God. I've had like 10 million thoughts. No, you were saying. um 
wanting to connect and find that, um, you know, when, when you get sober, you, Ketsia, you found, um, community through the sober Instagram and Meg, you found it through sober sis. Um, and you know, in my town here in Needham, I felt like there in certainly during the pandemic, there, there was nothing and I and didn't feel like I knew anybody that didn't drink. And so I similarly found it through Instagram, the luckiest club, but that's also where my need to start writing and putting my story out there kind of was born because I wanted to create that community for others like me that felt lost and suffering in silence, you know, that may be suffering in silence, um, just like me. And I think that is all where, you know, all three of us are very similar in the sense that we wanted to feel connection, feel like we weren't alone. And, um, for so long when we were drinking, none of us, or at least Ketsy and I had no idea what gray area drinking even was and that we were stuck in that place. And then all of a sudden we were, we were armed with all of this knowledge and we wanted to share it and, and allow people a place where they can come and learn about it and, you know, find that support. And, and you just, it's so funny. So many people that stop drinking, they find this, like, you know, they have all this energy and all this time and they just want to do, you know, they and just your creativity to... comes back. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's kind yeah, of your creativity. I, I know I've listened. I've heard you, Kim, on other podcasts where you talked about once you stop drinking, your writing really blossomed. I know Katsy, we're all three writers, right? Katsy, I know you've said the same thing. It's like, as soon as you remove that fog and that substance, it's like, that writer in you, I'm, we're all big journalers. I know I've listened to all of you on podcasts, so I know your past, you know? And so that little girl, that writer, that little girl within is like still there. She's just, and I talk about this in the book, she's just been covered by layers and layers of old conditioning program, programming from culture and society, maybe a teacher, maybe a doctor, maybe a family member. And it's an intoxicating lie that has kept her small, quiet, and checked out. And it's just, we have to lose the shame in this process. I know Ketsy and I were talking a lot about this in her book club. This was actually on my questions today, because I, I felt like you were leading into it there too, talking about um, your journaling practice and meditation practice with the photo of you as a young girl. But one of my questions is about talking about that shame spiral, because this is really useful to anyone listening right now. I think Meg has such a good handle on this. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm glad you're going here because this is what yeah. I want to talk about. Well, I think, you know, th there's so much stigma and so there's so much shame. And and I have a chapter called or a part of it in the chapter called the shame and vicious drinking cycle. And it's, you know, where you're taking care of everyone's needs all day, you're working all day and you're kind of doing this dutiful but dead checklist of taking care of, care of everyone and you don't even know what your own needs are. And so we have been sold the lie that wine in particular, especially for the mommy wine culture, is self-care. It is the societal permission slip to say it's okay to rest because we live in a hustle culture that is always telling us to do more and that we're not good enough and that we need to earn our worth. 
And so it's another intoxicating lie that we have to lose because there's so much shame that is surrounding all these intoxicating lies. And so when we, you know, fall into the chair and we've had the drink, we have to look back on, and I write about this as like a snake because I feel like nature is one of our greatest teachers and that the snake sheds her skin eight to 12 times a year. And we have to shed that those limiting beliefs, those intoxicating lives, that old condition programming that we've been sold, that we've been duped. And it is not our fault. It is our responsibility to, to get curious and do something about it. And I think the best way of getting curious is getting into a journal and asking yourself, what lie do I believe that alcohol is providing for me? And it was only when I realized that I, you know, it's usually either a reward or a crutch and you can get out of a deprivation mindset with it when you really start to realize what it is. But the other thing we have to do with the shame is not only do we have to shed the intoxicating BS, but we have to look at all parts of ourselves as good. So what I mean by that, and Katsina, you know, I've talked about this, it comes from the internal family systems and therapy. And I also am a big proponent of therapy, which is that we have gone through traumas, childhood situations, experiences where we've developed coping skills and mechanisms to help us survive and thrive. So for me, it was the perfectionist, the people pleaser, and the chronic achiever. Those three little army men always would show up, you know, for battle, like, we're ready to serve you. And what I've learned in this process is to tap them on the head, thank them for their service, and kind of then choose, not that they're bad parts of me, but how can I transform this into a good thing, not a bad thing? Right, Katsi, it's like it's like they served you and served a purpose, but shutting the bad part of how it's not serving you and keeping the parts that do. Right, because when you're denying those parts, they become what they call in, in that type of therapy, exile parts. So they are going to try and get your attention no matter what. So sometimes what I found in sobriety was these things would come up and my anxiety would seem worse than it was when I was drinking and, and it would boggle my mind and be like, well, I might as well just be drinking because it's it's a hundred times worse. But actually they were trying to get my attention. And by by leaning into that discomfort, I was able to have some very major breakthroughs. I'm not saying it's easy, but it, you know, it was so worth it because I had just been tamping those down, which is what alcohol does because it just puts this whole facade over everything. So, so true. Yeah. Um, so I just think that the, you know, slowing down and journaling and sitting with ourselves and meditating and even guided meditation, and it's okay if your mind's all over the map, like a monkey mind, that's very normal. You know, we haven't been trained to sit with ourselves. I, I noticed that the past three days I've been in this complete funk and I couldn't get out of it. And I normally, because I've done a lot of this work, this heart, I call it the heart work, the inner work, which is never done. But I just, I kept, I was just with it and with it. And I finally just got into nature this morning and I just said, put my hand on my heart. I love you. It's going to make me cry. I love you. I'm listening. Like we have not been taught to hold space for other people. We, as mothers, were nurturers, caretakers, rescuers, fixers, planners. And so 
the first instinct is I got to fix this. I got to be happy. But no, sometimes it's just that you have to just hold space for yourself and say, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm listening, but we do it for everybody else, but ourselves. That's one of the things That's my so therapist nice tells me to work on all the time. She's like, you need to have compassion for yourself. It's like that self-compassion and you know, what I've been through and what I've, it's, it's hard. To, it's hard. <laughs> You know, and the, the version of yourself, the young, the young girls that are parts of you, we would extend that compassion a million times over to real young women in our lives, to our daughters, to our moms, to our sisters. We have to do it for ourselves. I started doing about six months ago. I started doing Mel Robbins has a book about um, like the the high five. I think it's called the what's it called the fives? No, not the fives. Anyway. And, and every morning I connect, it felt very natural to me to connect with my versions of myself by touching the mirror, yeah, the, no makeup yeah, yeah. on first thing in the morning. Oh, and, and that high five, the high five habit, I think it's called, but yeah. that little thing opened the portal. And then I kind of start writing about, you know, whatever came up that day, but, oh. you know, we're just not modeled these things. And I think, you know, it, women then they either say, I don't know how to journal. I don't know how to meditate or I don't know how to do this work. It's okay. You can, you know, just begin again and keep trying and keep showing up for yourself. And there's no right or wrong way of meditating, journaling, you know, just slowing down to the pace of nature to find your true nature. You know, it just is that we are live in such a hectic lives and we don't take the time to just show up for ourselves. And it's hard to do. I mean, it may be that you have to pull over on the highway and just take some deep breaths because you don't have time, you know? And so I'm not trying to come in here and be like, you need to go do yoga and you need to go meditate. For No, I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> it's just, it's this earth school we don't get and we're not modeled it and we're not taught it. So I love that you have a podcast that allows people, you know, and women in particular to hear this message because they need it. They real we we need these we need to talk about this stuff because we're just not taught it or modeled it. I think it's is it Chris, Kristen Neff who says um, talks yes. about self compassion and she says talk to yourself like you would talk to a friend. You know what would you say to a friend who is feeling sad or feeling you know lost or confused? It's in and so that sort of takes you out yeah, of your own skin and makes you take a step back and it's like, okay, yeah. And I like, what would your friend say about you? Yeah. Because I have a, I have a meditation in the book called I am. So write down like, not I'm a mom, I'm a sister, I'm a school teacher, write down. I am creative. I am creative. I am love. I am yes. generous. I am. And, and meditate on that. And if you can't do it for yourself, like you said, call a friend and say, what are, what do you think of me? Can you give me three words to describe me that are not roles of who I am, but what I am, mm -hmm. which is I'm enough. I'm love. I'm perfect. I'm whole, you know, all those things that we would tell our friend. And that's why going back to what you said, Katia, like it's so important sometimes to also have that picture of yourself as a little girl when you're journaling, because yeah. you may not be able to say it to the adult version of you, but I bet you'll be able to say it to the little girl who was beaming. And when you can reconnect with her in a way that 
it brings you joy and what, you know, go back to what you love to do as a little girl. Did you love to ride your bike? Did you love to paint? Go do those things because she wants to come alive. And that is where the beauty is in this journey. And it's not boring. It's so much more fun. I loved when you said that at the, um, at the book club. Cause I was like, Oh, because it, we often as adults too, just feel that we have to put aside the things that brought us joy in our childhood. And, and it's like, Oh, you're too old to do that. And constantly. And I, I always am mindful to never say to Harper, my daughter, you you're too this for that, or you're too that, yeah. or you're too any, you're too much like you're too much messages. is just, it's so detrimental because you carry that with you. And it's like, if I want to go outside when it rains and jump in the puddles and look for frogs or me and Harper go out and look at worms, which I don't really like worms, but I'm like, okay. And, but we actually have so much fun. And for, for just a, you know, a half hour, you forget about all of this baggage that we've carried from societal pressures, from pressures of being a mom, from everything that we've been ingrained with, you know. I think one of the very first like self-help books I read besides that wasn't like a quitlet book. I want to say it was like Brene Brown, the um, vulnerability. What? I can't think of the name of it. You know what I'm talking about? Brene. Anyways, one of the chapters... You know what I'm talking about. Well, the wilderness one, braving the wilderness. No, no. The perfection. The perfection. The perfection. Yes, yes, and I, th I'm pretty anyway. sure this is what I'm thinking of. Um, there's like a chapter on the importance of play. Um, and is that the book? It might be. Maybe it's another one. Whatever. It was some really great person told me that there's really it's important to play, and that was what I was thinking of when you guys were saying that. That it's important to just like take a moment. And allow yourself to go back to, yeah, the things that make you, like, remind you of being a kid. And that reminds me that I'm going to go hit golf balls right now with my husband. I'm going to go play golf, take a break, and have Fun. a time for me before my kids get home. You know, the heart work and the inner work can be very heavy at times. And so it's so critical to have these moments of joy and gratitude and mm -hmm. finding the beauty in the day because... It's tough work. You know, a lot of people, it's hard to do. And that's just why a therapist is, you know, if you can get or a friend or community where you can get support is key in this journey. Because once you remove the substance, all that stuff kind of bubbles up and beckons to be dealt with. <laughs> I feel like we need like a two part interview with you because I don't feel like this is like enough um but i also know that you do cover a lot of stuff a lot of ground in your book i read it um i got like an advanced copy of it but then i still ordered the book because the cover like you said we were talking before the before the podcast about um self-publishing and hybrid publishing and stuff and if you guys haven't seen the book you must take a look at it because the cover is just beautiful it is um beautiful. The swirling and the kind of like how we can be imperfect and messy and we can be in the middle of all of this, like you said, Meg, heart work that we're doing and still exist and be enough. Like we don't need to have that drink in our hand to be enough. And it, it just, it, the message is in that. And I've got little tabs in every single <laughs> section in here, but 
I would, yeah, I would just thank you. Yeah, I would love to give a shout out to my my book designer, Melinda Martin, because she did mm -hmm. a fabulous job. But I'll tell you a little a little bit about the book cover. So I was a red wine drinker, so that's why you see the red and it's the swirls mm -hmm. because this journey is so many twists and turns and swirls, like you said, and it's brutal, like Glennon Doyle says, it's beautiful yeah. but brutal, right? And so. The wine glass is gray. I know it looks a little white, but it's gray for the gray area drinking. And yeah, and so there is a lot, there's a lot of meaning behind the um, the cover. I also find that sunsets are intoxicating. So I chose the colors of a sunset because I talk a lot about nature in my book and reconnecting mm -hmm. with earth. And so, there's just a lot of meaning in the cover, um, and I appreciate you bringing it up because it, I don't get to talk about it very often, and it, it really, she did such a fabulous job. And throughout the book, the wine glass is up on all, the, so there's five intoxicating lies throughout mm -hmm. the book. And then the last two chapters, the wine glass is turned upside down because it talks about the freedom that you get and the truth of who you are in this journey and that you don't need alcohol. I didn't notice that. Okay. Yeah. It's like so those little things, right? So I can, you are worth it. Oh, okay. Okay. So cool. So yeah. So those, those intoxicating lies are covered in more detail in here, but Meg also weaves in her personal journey and, and also um, you talk very candidly in the book about a setback that you had, which turned into a learning opportunity, which turned into just part of your journey now. And I think that is so important because there's so many people that come into my DMs or so many people that listen to the show think that if they have one little, um, you know, data point that that's it. And it's not, it just isn't. No, it's really, you know, those data points, those side steps are not encouraging to, you to drink, but they're so important if you don't give up and you get curious and you journal, what did you think it would provide for you? So I have this story where um, it was during COVID and I hit an effort moment mm -hmm. and I still was stuck in a deprivation mindset with alcohol. And I thought that if the, you know what, hit the fan, I still had some alcohol to go back to. And so that lurking belief was way back in my subconscious. Even though I had done the work, I knew what alcohol was. It was still back there. And I got, I was fighting with my husband about politics. I found out my daughter was vaping and she lied to me about it. You know, it, it I was struggling with work because I was trying to sell to doctors online. You name it. I felt like I was fighting for everyone and everything, especially trying to keep the family safe during COVID. My husband's immunocompromised. So my kids hated me and I just hit a wall and I went downstairs and I still had wine in the house. It's I, I never really, it never bothered me. And, but I, poured myself a big glass of red wine and I took three big sips and my daughter came down the stairs with tears in her eyes. And she said, mommy, is this my fault? And it was like, my why got slapped across my face. Here I am telling her not to vape, that it's an addictive substance. Here I am drinking down in an addictive substance. What am I modeling to her? What am I doing? And in that moment, it shifted me out of that deprivation mindset to knowing that tomorrow COVID was still going to be there. The presidential yep. debate wasn't ending. 
you know, still going to have to sell online to my doctors. And it was solving absolutely nothing. And I was modeling something that I was actually preaching to my daughter to do the opposite of. And I was like, this doesn't even make sense. (laughs) And so I poured the rest of the wine down the drain. And it was a huge moment, not only for me, but for her as well, that we're going to make mistakes. This is a learning process. You're, you're always arriving. You're the student. You're always learning, changing, evolving, growing. And it's okay as long as we look at it and see what we learned out of it and we don't give up. But if we give up and we, that, then, then it's failure, but it's not. It's just like Holly Whitaker says in her book, Quit Like a Woman. You don't just get up and run the New York Marathon. You have to train for it. So we have to lose the shame around these data points and sidesteps. They're there to teach us. And it pushed me over the edge. I, I haven't, that was the last time I had a drink. And I think it was amazing that your daughter, as, as hard as it was for you, I think it was amazing that she was there for that because it really, for both of you, she'll remember that and, and you'll, and she'll remember the courage with which you faced that situation. And you said, I am going to get back up and I am going to keep doing this, you know, yeah. and you didn't let it define your whole journey up until that point. And I got to tell you, our kids don't want to see a perfect mom, you know, like they want to see the messy parts of us because then they know that they don't have to be quote unquote perfect too. I mean, we are perfect mm-hmm. and whole, but what I mean is like that we don't make mistakes. And, and so I think, you know, if we are patting ourselves at every turn, we are modeling to our kids that, hey, when life gets tough, just, you know, have a drink. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we want it. Or, hey, in order for mom to have fun, she's got to have a drink. Or, right. you know, the only way mom can, you know, it just it goes on and on. And it's a sad thing that we're saying to our kids. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's true. It's true. How old was she at the time? 15. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we're, we're heading into these drinking years in high school and, all I can say is we're having a lot of conversations of being curious, you know, like, do, do you think it makes you more fun? How did you feel the next day when you woke up? Mm-hmm. How come you didn't get to go surfing with your friends and you slept in all day? Now, the consequences aren't as big when you're younger, right? But let's face it, they're doing what we did in high school. They're they're trying some drinks out, you know, and I'm not going to be one of those moms that's like, you can't do that, you know, in fear. It, instead, I'm like, well, tell me what it felt like for you. And, you know, tell me, I mean, we've had serious conversations because in the book, I talk about two sexual assaults that I got into where I had drinking involved. So I have had conversations with her on the risks Mm -hmm. of not being able to make good decisions and putting yourself in some, you know, bad situations. But ultimately she's going to have to figure this out. Just like we want this journey for everyone, right? Like our kids, our friends, our parents, but they have to figure it out in their own time way and 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 and, you know my daughter is eight she was just turning six when i got sober i've been almost two and a half years now and she she she's younger than your kids were at that time and she's always says to me mom i'm never going to drink and i think to myself you say that now that's really lovely she i know part of her says it because that's what she thinks mommy wants to hear too and and so the conversations and and we have these interesting conversations even at her age it's not there's age appropriate things that you can be talking about with your young girls young boys whatever it is that i think will really help them um, develop their own curiosity 
And that's something that we, I feel I wasn't allowed to develop as a child. So then I never, I only saw things as black and white. Yeah. And this was the way that I was brought up. And the other way was the bad way and the wrong way, you know? Yeah. I think when we plant these little seeds, they stay with us. I mean, I remember my primary care physician telling me how horrible my drinking would affect my sleep. And I had the blinders up. I was stuck in my gray area drinking. I didn't want to hear what she had to say. Right. Mm-hmm. But whose voice did I remember? And what things do I remember when I quit? It was hers, right? When my sleep improved, I was like, Damn, she was right. <laughs> you're like the parent. You're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> and you know, our kids, they, they, they don't, they want to hear it. They don't want to hear it, you know, but. I'm glad uh, hear it though. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when she wakes up and she doesn't feel well, she's going to remember mom asking her, how'd you feel? Yeah. Yeah. So true. Um, this is an ongoing conversation that I'm not saying that that you can necessarily change, like you said, the decision that your kids or anyone in your any loved one in your life or that you care about is going to make, but by modeling the things that we are now in sobriety and living our truth and, and living in an authentic aligned way while still having bad days, still having down days, still, like you said, feeling flat or feeling not yourself for the last few days and showing that kind of well-rounded, um, you know, aspect of life, as opposed to saying we can have it all and we can be on the PTA and we can drink a bottle of wine a night and run marathons and this and that. It's an exhausting hamster wheel and it's not sustainable. So I think we're, we're just out here trying to, um, to model that and to, to show people that there is a whole community of women and and people doing this and loving it and, and making mistakes along the way. You know, such a good point. I know my, my son the other day when he saw I was in a funk, he's like, do you need to go for a walk? Yeah. Great. Like what, not mommy, do you need a glass of wine, but mommy, do you need to go for a walk? Yes. That's what I need. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I need to scream right now or whatever. <laughs> no, but really he's cause he sees you doing that regularly, that type of self care for yourself. It's no longer alcohol is self care, but getting outside in nature. So they are watching. They are watching. And just like you said, we can be an influence. We can't control anybody, but we can influence others and be a role model for sure. For sure. I love this conversation. Me too. Me too. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Meg, so much for being here. This is really great. And I love hearing about your story, your perspective, and um, let us know where we can buy your book. Oh, thank you. Um, so anywhere books are sold and my, um, Instagram is intoxicating lies book, all one word, and it connects to Facebook, which is the name of the book, intoxicating lies, one woman's journey to freedom from gray area drinking. And, um, my website is intoxicatinglies.com. I have a great newsletter and I just want to thank you guys for this opportunity. I love this conversation. I just, Really appreciate the work that both of you are doing and love both of your guys' writing. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Thanks for being on, Meg. All thank right. You. We'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great weekend, Sober. Bye.